This is episode 110 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Toronto comedian Mark Hughes, host of the Safe Injection Comedy Fundraiser to be held on March 28th at the 120 Diner in Toronto, Ontario. All proceeds from the comedy fundraiser will be donated to the Toronto Overdose Prevention Society. I enjoyed my conversation with Mark. It was interesting to learn about the safe injection sites in Toronto and the life-saving work carried out by the Toronto Overdose Prevention Society. Mark's personal story and his passion for helping others is both moving and inspiring. I'm here with uh, Mark Hughes, a recovering addict, comedian, and podcaster, and I believe a social advocate. Uh, Mark, how you doing? I'm good. I hate that word, advocate. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, as I was your uh, podcast, learning... you can call me whatever you want, baby. Okay. <laughs> as I was learning about you, though, I thought, wow, you know, because. You really care about the subject that we're going to be talking about. You're here today to tell us about a fundraiser that will be taking place on March 28th at the 120 Diner in Toronto. Yep. And it's a safe injection comedy fundraiser. Yes. And it's going to benefit the Toronto Overdose Prevention Society. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So why don't you talk about this? I know that you, I guess you did one of these in Vancouver. Um, is that how, how this whole thing started? Yeah, I did two in Vancouver. Um, so I'm a recovering addict. I'm a recovering mm-hmm. IV drug user, uh, cocaine and heroin. I was on uh, the downtown east side. I'll just give you the brief version to get into the how I started doing these fundraisers. I've known a lot of people who've died of drug overdose in yeah. the last since about 2016, uh, end of 2015, 2016. I've known a lot of people who've died. Like when I say a lot, I'm talking about it's probably – it's over a hundred now. God. Right. And uh I know more people who've died in the last few years of drug overdose than I did when I was actively using drugs on the streets. And I'm yeah. and not just a few more, like ten times more. That's how that's how bad the epidemic is. So what happened was I was thinking, how I mean, I know so many people like are, are dying. And and in Vancouver at the time we had this thing, we had these things called pop-up safe mm-hmm. injection sites air quotes pop up say oh mm-hmm. is this video recorded well i do have a, a video but i'm not recording it so it's just audio yeah just okay audio. so for the listeners air quotes pop <laughs> okay. up injection sites um and what those were were in 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 canada uh su- what are known as supervised injection sites are legal under certain parameters so that's where you're allowed to consume drugs legally and there are medical staff around to intervene should something like an overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem was the amount of drug use in Vancouver, well, all over the place, but really Vancouver is so, uh, the volume of drug use is so high that the legal safe injection site, which is known worldwide as Insight, mm-hmm. couldn't accommodate all the people. Wow. And there was still a huge amount. Of, it can only take 25 people at a time. And if you ever went down to the downtown east side where, where it is, there's way more people than that. Mm-hmm. So people were still dying. So uh, some people started, uh, the, um, they just basically, they got some Narcan, Naloxone, or, uh, an opioid or, um, antagonist, which, which reverses an overdose and just kind of put up a little spot where people could use 
Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, if you want to get high, we'll we'll watch and just if anything happens, we'll intervene. Mm-hmm. And it's known as a pop-up safe injection site. Uh, technically, they were illegal. Technically, right. they still are illegal because you have to get there's a bunch of uh, regulations and stuff. You have to get permission and authority from the government, uh, the federal government here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, the police weren't. Uh, they had a, a, a an agreement with the police that the police wouldn't enforce the law while people were doing that. So they just because they understood this is a problem and they don't need to. It's too small of a thing. It. it it would do more harm than good to be arresting people using drugs, right? Sure. Problem was they couldn't get funding. So Insight gets government money because it's, it's government sanctioned. The mm-hmm. pop-up safe injection sites were, they're basically punk rock. They're right. Unity grassroots. But these, in order to keep the man uh, or, 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 or uh, you know, uh, the, the supplies, the da, 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 they need to, um, uh, they, money. It costs cost mm-hmm. money to do all that. Mm-hmm. So they were relying on donations and GoFundMe's, and I thought, well, why can't I could put on a comedy show and raise money? And the, what the final um, nail in the coffin, or as it were, for when I decided I got to do something about this, was I was getting a picture taken for a newspaper story about me. Mm-hmm. Some recovering addict who does com- comedy, right? Oh, it's so exciting, <laughs> right? And I'm facing you like I am right now, so you're mm-hmm. a photographer. To my left, like the, if you were the photographer, you could have seen it. I because I kind of heard a commotion behind me. Someone was overdosing. Oh God! That's how frequent it is down there, right? Wow. And it's just this this contrast, this juxtaposition, whatever you want to call. It, I went here. I am getting this picture taken for this article, and, and there's someone maybe gonna die. He didn't Jesus. die, it, it, but it could have, right? Right. Poor blue, right? And. uh yeah, so then I I did it and I did one and then I did two. So now that organization, which was called the Overdose Prevention Society in Vancouver, they do receive government funding now. Okay. So they don't need uh, donations as heavily as they used to. That was uh, 2017. I did the last one. Um, fast forward to now. I moved here. I moved to Toronto um, uh, in just a few months ago, November. Oh, okay. And they, they have a Toronto Overdose Prevention Society here too, and they have some safe supervised in, in supervised consumption, safe injection, whatever you want to call them, right. sites here. But they also have a few pop up ones. Oh. The government here in 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 Ontario, which is the province, uh-huh. sort of like a state for American right. listeners, uh, is a is more conservative. I'm, uh, I'm nonpartisan with all this shit. Well, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but yeah, it's more conservative than the West Coast. Yeah. And I don't mean just conservative politically. It's socially, it's more conservative. Oh, okay. Pop-up safe, safe injection sites are still kind of a, I, I don't want to say controversial necessarily, but they're not, the public hasn't totally accepted and embraced them. Again, okay. not necessarily uh, condemning them, but it's, it's not a, it's not as, it's not as embedded in the cultural landscape as insight. Like everyone in Vancouver knows about the safe injection site. It's just kind of given that they have them. Anyway, the, the pop-up safe injection sites here are not getting government funding and probably aren't going to anytime soon. And, uh, the other problem is, is while there are quite a few overdoses here, the population's a lot bigger here and the rate of overdose per pop compared to the population is lower here. Oh, so and I've seen how the media reports it here too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get the it doesn't get the headlines and the front pages like it did in BC. Like mm-hmm. in BC, you you can't talk to anyone who doesn't know what fentanyl is. 
Yeah. You, you, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who doesn't know someone directly or indirectly who died of a drug overdose. Wow. Here in Toronto, I was at a comedy show and I, I have jokes about fentanyl and stuff like that. And someone didn't know what fentanyl was. I couldn't believe it. They're like, what's fentanyl? And I thought, because I assumed because Vancouver had gotten national and international news regarding the overdose, I thought it did everyone, but no, it, it hasn't, it hasn't permeated the, the culture or social awareness, like as it is here. I've actually had a hard time getting any kind of response from the media here, which I find shocking too, because in Vancouver, the first time I did it and the second time, I just posted a post on Facebook saying, I'm doing a fundraiser. And I got inundated with media requests. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. the thing I don't understand is even if you don't give a shit about this, overdose, comedy, combine them, click. Yeah. Why isn't it like that was something people would click on just to right. see. Yeah. And but no interest here. It's a, it's a, yeah. I don't understand it. But it is a problem in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at some statistics Big of, yeah. uh-huh, yeah. of paramedics responses to um, overdoses. And it's pretty significant, the number of overdoses they have to respond to and the number of those where they are fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are like 3,000, over 3,000 calls, um, responses um, totally in 2018, if I remember right. Um, and, you know, and a fraction of those were um, fatal. Yep. Part of the, and those are just the ones where paramedics respond. Yep. So you know that there are plenty where nobody knows. Yep. Well, the the, the the people who usually die of a drug overdose were using alone somewhere or somewhere there that was not near where, or maybe not near is, is maybe not the right word, but like in a place where medical or some kind of intervention was less likely to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are four um, safe injection sites, I believe in Toronto and those are sanctioned. So the ones that aren't sanctioned, the pop-ups, do the police just tolerate those? Yeah, same thing. Yep. It, okay. It, it's uh, by and large, most agencies, whether they be mental health, law enforcement, social work, for the most part, see drug use, drug addiction, all these things as a health concern more than a criminal sure. uh, thing now. Uh, that's now anyone listening might go, oh, but there was this time and yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I know there's exceptions and it's not always treated like that, but I would say generally speaking it, it's not seen as a a criminal or something that law enforcement need, really needs to get involved in yeah and i agree that that's the way it should be you know you mentioned in one of your podcasts that when you compare it to the aids epidemic there are more people dying of the opioid crisis yep. than of the aids e- epidemic yep. and addiction is far more difficult to treat yep uh also, the in order, uh, so whenever studies are done and they're doing research on how to uh, resolve this issue, they draw comparisons and parallels between the AIDS epidemic and this. But uh, it, this is a lot harder to socially address for so many different reasons because um, the AIDS epidemic, this is, might be oversimplistic, but if people use protection while they're having sex, that's then that can reduce it. Uh, drug research can help. Uh, awareness of of safer sex practices because people, right. people have sex that's not going to stop and that's great uh, uh, sex is awesome it's hard to get people to stop using drugs though exactly and i'm not saying people should stop using drugs but like it, it's not something where you can go even providing safe consumption sites uh, sure awareness it you're still taking a fentanyl or car fentanyl is a poison 
basically yeah. even though it gets you really high and it feels really great it's a it's a substance that can kill you and the nature of addiction and drugs and drug use and all this kind of stuff is it's not like people are sitting there in a laboratory with coats and clipboards going okay no that's one microgram too much before they do a fix right it's just right. and people claim oh if it was legalized it, it it would i don't personally believe that if it was legalized all of a sudden the world would be a utopia there would mm-hmm. be less deaths there'd be less problems but i think people there'd be more medical there'd be uh, uh, access to uh, drugs that would be you know you could you would know the purity and all this kind of stuff but people would still use drugs yeah and there would still be overdoses probably not yeah. as many but there still would be and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people it, it makes it they make it they always say well look what they did in portugal look what they did in portugal but even people in portugal have said that it it it, it helped but it wasn't necessarily it's not a utopia either right um drug addiction even if the government's giving me my drugs and i know the security and i don't overdose and i don't have abscesses and i'm not contracting diseases and stuff like that if i'm getting high all day every day am i leading the, the life that i truly right. heart of hearts want to lead I'll leave that question open because I don't speak for other people's experiences and stuff like, but I just, what the point I'm making is drug use. There are the the parallels between AIDS, drug use. There are some, but eventually they diverge and they're, they're definitely not the same thing. That was, no, you're, you're right about that. And, and the gay community was able to help each other during that early time because there was no one else helping them. Whereas with the addicts really don't have the way to <laughs> they help each other uh the, a lot of these pop-up in, injection sites and even the ones that are government sanctioned are, are are manned uh uh staffed by uh, drug users and people who are part of these communities okay so they have the, cool. the naloxone so they're helping each other here's the problem i see that's different the biggest problem that i see that's different than uh the aids epidemic versus drug addicts uh is although an argument could be made and it'd be it'd be accurate that Back in the 90s and uh, when the AIDS, 80s and 90s is, is uh, homosexuality and gay people weren't as socially acceptable. Right. It was easier to accept them than a junkie. Yeah, right. And that I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon, to be honest. No. I, 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 I think progress has been made. But a lot of people are more aware of drug addiction. And uh, what got the media attention in Vancouver is when suburban uh, middle class normal people started dying of drug overdoses. Yeah, lots of people were dying before that, but it, it took that to start getting and the, the quote unquote tainted drug supply. That's big. That was that's what what the rock and roll issue was in Vancouver is. Oh, you could just be a regular person and die now, not just a junkie. And then the media was misreporting, like they're making it sound like the drugs were intentionally contaminated and stuff like that. That wasn't exactly accurate either, right? So uh, they also were making it, they didn't report that people were purposely seeking out fentanyl either, that fentanyl had essentially replaced heroin as the opioid of choice, right? The media... The media with a bunch of this stuff hasn't accurately reported yeah. things, and that's that, that's another thing that's caused a problem, right? Well, you know, I didn't know much about fentanyl, and I was listening to your podcast, and you, you mentioned that it just takes, like, the size of a match, the head of a match. That might kill. be too much, yeah. Oh, for wow. a few of us, yeah. yeah. And um, is it being put in to other drugs is it is that how it's being used uh, well, the, what the problem is is uh the reason it's it's is a lot of there's cross what's it's it's not being so it's not like people are cutting cocaine with fentanyl it's more 
that uh, because fentanyl is such a small amount, it's a dust particles, really mm-hmm. just small, just God. basically what they call it is cross contamination. So if I weigh up some Coke on a scale, cocaine, mm-hmm. and then I don't clean it off properly or no, sorry, start with the fentanyl, weigh up, weigh up some fentanyl. Then if I don't clean it off properly and then I weigh up Coke, the Coke's now contaminated. Okay. And because it doesn't take very much. So it's more just, it's more, uh, being stored or prepared near each other is mm-hmm. what causes it. Um, and that's it. That's all it takes. Wow. Yeah. And is it coming from China? Is that's that- one source. Some of it, some people say it's from Mexico too, but a lot of the stuff in uh, BC is from China because you can mail order it. Wow. There's some conspiracy theories that the uh, Chinese are uh in, well, they use it to launder money, which and there there is sort of a culling of the herd to uh-huh. to make it easier to gentrify to uh, right. kill all the people off, buy the property when it's at low, and then develop and the property's higher. That I mean, it's a conspiracy theory. There's no okay <laughs> right. stop. Some of those things that I mentioned, there are direct correlations. Like they have the big investigations have been done about drug money laundering for drugs and where the and the source of the fentanyl now. The, the the motives behind all of it that can't be proven, but it isn't that far of a stretch, sure. you know. Yeah. yeah. Can you describe what one of these um, safe injection sites is like? Um. So the pop up ones are usually like a tent, like an you know like a tent, like the same kind that you'd rent for a barbecue in your mm-hmm. backyard or a park, you know that mm-hmm. type. Some of them are in portables, like little trailers, if you know the type, like the school trailer where they have the inside, there's some tables and some chairs and, you know, uh, drug using supplies such as syringes, alcohol swabs, uh, water, mm-hmm. arm bands or tensor bands for tying off the arm, vitamin C packets if you're breaking down certain types of opioids mm-hmm. or crack cocaine. Uh, and then they just have staff kind of just sitting around. Right there to shoot the shit too they're they're mm-hmm. kind of half social worker mm-hmm. thing as well um but mainly just to supervise and if anything go happens they uh respond okay yeah and they use uh narcan or naloxone and that's what's used to stop the uh, overdose and it works uh yeah yeah uh it's so far as far as i know last time i looked uh in canada at least there hasn't been one death in a supervised or safe injection site Okay. There's been lots of deaths elsewhere, but not on on us at a supervised or safe injection site. So I'm an alcoholic. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I didn't really do drugs except for maybe pot. Okay. And um, so with alcohol, um, even during the worst of my drinking, it almost felt like there was some kind of a social aspect to it. But when you're <clears throat> when you're getting to this addiction, and you're going to one of these safe sites. Is is there a, uh, is there that element of it, or is it just you're there to get a fix? You're there to get what you need. You know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, are they? It's people... not like a bar. Okay, it's not, not like, like a bar. bar. Uh, it's not it, like so. It's. I mean, I don't it, know what I'm trying to say. Difference. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. I got uh, clean and sober in the alcohol fellowship, but that's because the drug one wasn't really that blunt. Sure. Went where right. the community I I did. I'm I'm a drug addict though. Like, don't get me wrong. I can't drink either, and shit happens, but. I'm a drug guy, always was. The major difference between alcoholics and drug addicts mainly, other than the social acceptance and legality, there's more trauma involved with people who use drugs, generally speaking. You took an alcoholic and a drug addict, um, especially IV drug use, Mm -hmm. 
higher, like probably higher than 50, 50 odds. That the drug addict was probably abused mm-hmm. at some point. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't just mean like a spanking. I mean, some kind of sexual, serious. something serious, right? Uh, often coming from more poverty or foster care or something like that, right? Whereas alcoholics, by and large, generally speaking, I know people might get, oh, no, that's not me, but generally speaking, tended to kind of lead more quote-unquote normal lives for the most part. The biggest problem was the booze and the problems that came along with the booze. And yeah, alcoholics also drink for the feeling like fitting in, sure. all that kind of stuff. But there's a speaker, his name's, uh, fuck, I can't remember what his Chris, uh, I think it's Chris R. He's a AA speaker. Mm-hmm. Heard him on a tape one time. He says, for anyone who says that an alcoholic and a drug addict are the same, go to listen to a crackhead step five. And it's like, yeah, I know what he means when he says that, right? Like there's just other stuff. So, so to answer your question at the supervised, at the safe injection sites, it's people are just in, out, do the fix, get yeah, up. It's not they a party. Hang out and talk a little yeah. bit. It's not. It, it, it okay it's a bit more like a bar than you might think it is but <laughs> okay. it's not exactly like a bar right. either yeah. okay yeah because it seemed to me it's like a it's like a medical it's a place to go to be safe basically and um i guess you would call this harm reduction yes that, that's all into that, harm that, reduction. That, that, that's uh supervised con- uh, methadone suboxone so those are what are called opioid replace or drug replacement therapies mm-hmm. and safe injection sites are the the face of harm reduction. Right. Uh, so that whenever, when people think of harm reduction, those are the things that people think about, right? Yeah. Harm reduction means a lot more than that. But those, and unfortunately, because those, those, so the drug replacement and safe injection site, because they are the faces or the things that get the most airtime about harm reduction, they're also the most controversial. Okay. Right. So. Well, they save lives. The safe yep. injection sites definitely save lives, and there's research yep. to back that up. Absolutely, the data shows that it it it, it reduces uh, dr- drug um, uh, um, uh, disease transmission, right. uh, improves overall health and quality of life in people who use drugs, and no one's died of a drug overdose since Insight uh-huh. Vancouver. Not a, I don't think anyone's ever died there. That's good. Right? Yeah, and it also connects people with other people. It also connects people with other people, so you aren't using alone, so for right. immediate safety, and you're right. socially isolated. Mm-hmm. And most of these services, ostensibly, there's a bit of controversy around that, and mm-hmm. I, I'll get to that in a little bit. Ostensibly, and and often actually do connect people with services that they might need, right? Such as a detox, such as a rehab, such as housing, such as all these things, right? Yeah. So, well, I tell you, I could I could personally support something like that. Um, I I don't know how controversial harm reduction is amongst people Pretty, that I might know in recovery, and maybe it's controversial. Uh, in, <laughs> I found uh, okay in Vancouver and Canada, but mainly uh, my experience mainly is in Vancouver. Check back me with me in a year. I'll tell you what it's like for real in Toronto. Yeah, there's a divide. Okay, you know, down in your down in your the, your neck of the woods. You know, in the United States, you have your uh, Right and left in politics. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Up here we have abstinence and harm reduction. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you think guns or trans bathrooms was a fucking debate, you should see <laughs> the abstinence versus harm reduction. Okay. Bo- both have their both camps have their evangelicals too. Both ha- camps have their radicals. So you'll have the you'll have the abstinence people, which tend to be twelve steppers, right? right. 
this is an agnostic based podcast. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I'm an so you know what I'm talking about when we talk about the fucking evangelical mania. Yeah, it's kind of dogmatic. Yeah, they have this dogmatic yeah. idea that there's a, this is the only way, right? Absolutely. So they get like that and you know, the only people who the 12 steps never worked for are the ones who didn't try it. And it's right, like, right. It's, yeah, yeah, all that shit, right? God didn't shine on them. Blah, 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 right? You <laughs> didn't want it bad enough and blah, yeah. blah, right? Uh, harm reduction is just enabling. Uh, you're, why Why wouldn't you try? You, you need to help people get their bottom faster, not, not help them be right. this kind of shit, right? Also, you know how... 12-step groups can be in theory they're very uh benevolent but in practice you get the wrong group together and they can actually do more harm than good and drive people yeah. out right and, and then there's pre- then there's predatory people and all this fucking right. shit there are problems oh yeah that uh, i i'm a proud member of 12-step groups and I'll, mm-hmm. any criticism i've ever heard i'm mm-hmm. like yep yeah <laughs> all yeah. i can do is just try not to do that shit that's the best i can. maybe call it out if i see it right However, the harm reduction people aren't innocent either. <laughs> they sometimes don't think abstinence is realistic or possible. Oh, okay. Uh, have you ever heard the term soft bigotry of low expectations? Yeah, I have heard that. <laughs> okay. They do that sometimes. So a lot okay. of the people who work in harm reduction are, are staff who are like end up sort of treating the clients as like children kind of. And they're like, they're there. It's okay. You don't need and, – and they like don't hold them accountable and they start – the, they they tend to again this isn't everybody but this this is a problem this is the their version of the radical bullshit that happens is uh it's never the drug users fault or responsibility it's always something else society the government the mm-hmm. patriarchy colonialism and mm-hmm. any attempt to say hey man like maybe maybe snatching purses <laughs> and like live, leading this life isn't necessarily the healthiest thing right that's like rape or something Right. Like then now you're interfering with their agency. So and then they say anyone who's in 12 step is actually doing more harm than good. And abstinence isn't realistic. The data doesn't show it. We shouldn't even be mentioning it. Mm-hmm. The one part I agree with, with the with there is, when they say abstinence necess- shouldn't necessarily be promoted is we are in a this is a crisis. Mm-hmm. Abstinence for most opioid users in the short term isn't possible. Right. To just go, just get right. a big book and fucking pray and no, that's right. not going to happen. No. Like the, they, it, with opioid use, you need to get them physically. So probably st- ideally in an ideal world, you start them off on a drug replacement such as methadone or suboxone to deal with the uh, physical withdrawal and yeah. take it from there. Because the problem is if people try and just cut themselves off, their tolerance goes down. Oops, have a bad day. And the detox go out dead. That yeah. is the most susceptible population to drug overdose are people getting out of jail and people uh, in uh, uh, who are attempt who are somehow for whatever reason attempting abstinence whether right. forced on them or not right because mm-hmm. they have tolerance yeah yep yep so there um, that whole thing about the uh, debate within the recovery community I think is kind of everywhere that the problem is that people think that there's only one way and it's my way. And I think the truth of the matter is, uh, if you look at research, is there isn't any just one way to treat, to treat um, addiction. Um, you really have to tailor it for an individual's need because it's a very complex, complex disease. Uh, so, the research actually shows that most people who have substance abuse issues uh, eventually just stop on their own. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
Yeah. Isn't that interesting? They age out, as they say. Yeah. I know. And, you know, a lot of people say when they talk about AA2 or any of the 12-step programs, they'll say, you know, that's studies show that that's not really effective treatment. But, you know, it's really not supposed to be treatment. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be support. You know, so I don't know. Anyway, hey, you but, know, and I, I, I'm a diehard. I'm, I'm a lifer in the 12 yeah. steps. I'm, I'll never stop going. I don't go as much as I used to, but yeah. I, I'll never stop going. What it did for me more than like I'm abstinent now coming up on 13 years, but that wasn't the, the miracle as cheesy. Right, what it was, right. is I got out of prison and I had a place to go. They yeah. me learn how to drive a car. They taught me social skills. They right. invited me into their homes. Uh, all this, like they, they helped me when I was fucked up and wanted to kill myself and, or go back to prison. They talked right. through all that. I had friends who take me out for coffee and we'd joke around and make fun of stuff. And I was like, I need the abstinence part at that point was actually the easy part. Yeah. It was that not using drugs uh, for the last few years, like leading up to my addict to, 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 to getting sober and a bit before abstinence I could do. I didn't want to use drugs anymore, but I had, I didn't, it had been my life for so long. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I, I didn't believe I could ever be a member of society. Not really. Mm-hmm. I, cause I didn't, I could never reconcile. How do you not use drugs and not do crime, but also go to work? And I didn't think I could do that. And a, a, the anonymous, right. the unnamed 12 step right. uh, <laughs> taught me how I could do that. Yeah. It puts you in touch with people that will care about you when nobody else will. And you're with people who can identify with you. It's, it's a support network is what it is. And, and I, th- I think that's what, that's what helped me too. So let's talk about you a little bit. I'm, I'm interested in not necessarily what got you in prison or, or your experiences there, but the difficult part of transitioning from and to doing what you're doing now. So how did you become a comedian, going from where you were to where you are? All right. Uh, okay. I'm glad you asked that question the way you did, because everyone always wants to know, what's prison like? <laughs> did you get raped while you were in there? It's all this fucking shit. Yeah, right. People actually ask me that all the time. Um, it's, they asked me that so much if I got raped while I was in prison. I actually wrote a fairly long bit about mm-hmm. like how right. when would you ever ask anyone else that? <laughs> I'm not going to tell the joke. Right. Here, but, okay. Uh, so the hardest part about doing time is getting out. Yeah. Hands down. We acclimatize. Once, once you're in prison for a year, fuck, that's in your mind psychologically. That's your home anyway. So you, you – you, just is what it is. It's like moving to a different town. Yeah. You, like yeah. you just did, like, let's say you had to up and go one day for work and you didn't want to go and you went to the place you didn't want to go given enough time. Even if you didn't love it, you'd just be like, ah, okay. I live here now. Right. Same with prison. But then you get out and then assume you're supposed to be law abiding and all this kind of stuff. And when you do try and do that, I would say I've heard that the United States and Canada are different in this regard. Uh, uh, so, Canada is more socialist, more humanitarian. No, I don't want to say humanitarian, but the rehabilitation, reintegration is more on, is more the the prime directive. We're real punishment oriented in the United States. We make it hard for a person to ever have a life again. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Canada purports or or, or presents itself as this kind of world leader in corrections because they've adopted the best parts of all these correctional systems, right? It's fucking bullshit though. It's run by bureaucrats. That's mm-hmm. the socialist part. That's like the, that, that, that the bad part of the social yeah. part. It's just, they're not necessarily trying to punish and, con- it, but they're not necessarily helping either. It's more like they have all these programs that are meant to help, 
but they actually it's typical bureaucratic red tape just make it more fucking complicated mm-hmm. right and then you get the kind of social worker and uh, i was just I, I was recording a podcast just before uh, my podcast i was recording yes and we were talking about differences canada is very middle class it's a middle class country I don't just mean economically, I mean culturally too, right? Yeah. It's not common for people here to know someone who's been in prison. Right. The average part of society, whereas down in the States, <laughs> fucking everyone knows someone. <laughs> Yeah. That's not that unusual down there, right? right. Which that's a different discussion because right. I guess that's a problem in itself. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we put so many people in prison. <laughs> could be called into question for that. But anyway, so you get out in a country like Canada, it sounds like, okay, that's it. I'm gonna be a law abiding member of society. The world is mine now. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to enter. How do you talk to people about what the right. like where have you been for the last few years and then you, you unlike what i imagine it's like in the states where uncle joe's been in prison uh, I, I know old uncle joe i know what that's like here you tell people you've been in prison generally speaking you're the first person they've ever met right. who's been in prison right yeah. especially in the cities right it's very because again the the class system here is such that if you're kind of below the middle class you're never around the middle class. It's not integrated. It's not Canada prides itself on being multicultural and diverse. <laughs> it's kind of bullshit. It's not totally true. Right. Uh, it te- I, I would say that the diversity, the, the missing piece of diversity in Canada doesn't have to do with complexion, gender, sexual orientation. It's more uh, it's class yeah. and um, values. Mm. So you could have a trans person black person an asian person a gay person all hanging out in a group and you'd see them at the bar or the coffee shop and you'd think mm-hmm. oh wow look at that isn't that diverse but if you closed your eyes and you just listen to them they sound uh-huh. the same uh- <laughs> you know i mean they don't really disagree right. on anything they have this yeah. political and social point like and then here i find that if you're different and again class it's this class shit right you don't talk the right way that yeah. actually causes it to be harder here, which is if, if you know anything about class, middle class has it's always been the one that is the hardest because they're kind of the uh, the middle class is sort of the, the vanguard of the elite. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't want to I hate to sound like this, but this is just something of I didn't mean to learn all this. This is integration. What I learned, I had, yeah. like, I had to learn all this because I was like, why is it so fucking hard to integrate? Uh-huh. So the middle class kind of. The, they're the, they're the consumers mostly, right? They're the, they're the ones that uh, they, they, they sort of control the culture. Um, and there's the middle class tends to really like things to be status quo and not, we don't want to be upset. We don't want to hurt anyone. Right. Presentation is a big thing with the middle class, right? Yeah. What do the neighbors think? So there, there you are. There I go. Mark X convict Magoo. Fucking who doesn't know anything about political correctness, and I've just spent the last fucking number of years of my life. We just right. talk the way you do. Right. And I'm, I'm alienating myself because I don't know how to talk to these people. I'm, I'm, right. I'm my I, my intentions were good. I'm trying to be a law abiding for the first time in my life. I'm really trying right. to law abiding member of society, but I don't know how to fucking talk to these people. Right. right? Very difficult. Yeah. I could the, getting the job part. That was hard, but I eventually got that. Getting the place okay. to live, that was hard, but I eventually got that. The, the sort of survival things, the yeah. lowest rung on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. got that shit. So you've got that now. Yeah, still do. But the the next one up, connecting with people, which is almost as crucial yeah. as the food shelter, right? I couldn't get that. AA, or sorry, the, the unnamed the 12 steps. Yeah, uh-huh. 12 steps uh, help with that. 
The okay. problem was, though, call it arrogance, call it whatever you want to call it. I didn't like being relegated to a seg, like a sort of subset of society. I, I'm kind of like that too. I feel that way too. I didn't want to, I, it's, and I'm not shitting on the 12 steps, but I didn't, right. I just sort of knew it's like, really, is this it? I can only hang out here. No, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I, I kind of feel kind of boxed in sometimes. Like, I, because the name I gave the goddamn podcast. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so, and I wanted to do things that were just, I'd never done before. Yeah. I didn't even know the things I'd never done before, but I didn't want to just be, it's got to be a sober this. It's got to be a recovery that. It's it's only recovery talk. So I started experimenting with things to try just to, okay, what do people do? They hike, they have hobbies, they fucking, I tried volunteering, I tried mm-hmm. a- a- improv, I tried. And then one day I was doing a set of steps with a guy and he, he just sort of, he just was able to intuit that I needed some kind of creative outlet, me Mark Hughes needed a yeah. outlet and people had told me for, I think he meant like oil painting or pottery or something like that. Mm-hmm. But people had told me for years, you're funny. You're funny. When I'd share at meetings, I'd get people laughing. And I don't mean just mean kind of, they'd laugh a lot. Right. right. Cause I'd say fucked up shit. That yeah. was kind of well, mostly true, but you kind of, you're not supposed to say that, but it was, it was true. Right. And, um, I was never the type of guy who shared where and trying to make it look all great. I would talk about the fuck the, 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 the fucked up things that were happening in my recovery and stuff like that. So I decided to, I enrolled in a stand-up comedy class. Oh. Just and it, I, I wasn't trying to be a stand-up comic. It was just all right. Why don't I try this? Immediately, I was like, oh okay. First thing I ever found in my life that I was pretty good at right away. Yeah, right, you are good at it. Good enough, and I was able to see, hey, I'm actually not bad at this. Yeah. Everything else I'd ever tried in my life, I wasn't good at. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to take a long time to get good at, right? So the comedy I was okay at, and I just went, all right. And it lends itself, the lifestyle of being a stand-up comic lends itself to a guy like me. Absolutely. So it's as close as you can be to being a junkie without breaking the law or doing drugs. Comedy I, yeah. fascinates me because underneath underneath what makes people laugh is something that's very deadly serious. Yeah. You know, and it just it just blows me away because you're communicating something that's really important, that is tragic oftentimes, but you do it in a way that I don't know, it's funny. Yeah. And, and it blows me away that 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 undercurrent is always under comedy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, it, <laughs> I don't that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You hear all that all the time. I just I liked it. It yeah. suits me. I was yeah. finally able to go, OK, look. I found a thing that's socially acceptable enough that I don't totally have to contort myself to fit in to society yeah. and I can find which I didn't think I was able to do. I talk about this with a friend of mine all the time. I'm never going to be normal. I can't do it. It's, right. I'm too for whatever reason my brain's too traumatized. I'm too much of a rebel. I'm too stubborn. One of them. I can't do the 9 to 5. Let's buy a house. Let's have a family. All that. I just don't I can't do it. I can't filter my thoughts and words enough to fit in or to squeak by in an office setting or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm lazy for construction on it. Right? <laughs> so I finally found a thing that my strengths and weaknesses actually work. Yeah. For me, right. So, and I, for the most part, I can say the stuff I want to say and get rewarded for it, either mm-hmm. in laughter or money, preferably both, but that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. But yeah. <laughs> So you do have that creative outlet now. Yeah. And 
Yep. Can you talk about, um, I guess there's two, two, two things. Tragedy plus time served equals comedy. What is that? That's a one-man show I do for fringe festivals. Uh, it's about my life. So it's just, it, rather than focusing on the comedic, rather than doing a comedy set, it's more of a storytelling monologue. Uh, just the story. It's like a 12-step share, except mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've written it so normal people can relate to it a bit more. So it's something yeah. that you've written out. It's yeah. in, um, okay. And, but it's not yeah. comedy necessarily. It's just more of a story uh, of your 60, life. 60% serious, 40% comedy. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you, um, have you published that like on Amazon or anything? No, no, I haven't recorded it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh no, it's not written out. It's, it's, a, it's a show I perform. Uh, okay. People always say, why don't you write it? And it's like, ah, fuck. Yeah, someone has to sit down and write it, and I don't, I don't think I'm right. going to do it. But uh, I'd gladly collaborate with someone. If anyone ever wants to help, right. me, I'll talk. You dictate, no problem. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, I need to check. I need to check that out. I, I, I was just, I was kind of curious about it because I was reading. I was reading about it, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And one of the articles I read about it, the, they described it as a play. Yeah. I yeah. Right. I guess that's that's you know because it's so. performed at fringe festivals. It would be called a play. If you were to watch it, you'd be like. Oh, this is a mm, fancy twelve-step convention yeah, chair okay. kind of thing, but it, okay. you don't have to be in twelve-step to get it. Or, or, or uh, and it's you know it, it's tweak this here, tweak that yeah. there, so it's a bit entertaining, sort of, right? Okay. Yeah. And what's comedy shocker? That is my triple X-rated dark and dirty comedy show. <laughs> okay. So the no no holds barred comedy show. That I started because I got hick- sick of hearing people say, oh, yeah, people don't want to hear those kinds of jokes. I was like, yes, they do. I know they do. Yeah. Guess which types want to hear them. Who wants to hear the middle class guys? I don't know. No. <laughs> Our types. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. comics would tell me, no, no, joke. People people don't like those kind of jokes. I was like, oh, I know people who meet every night and dr- don't drink alcohol and drink a lot of coffee who love those jokes. What right. the fuck are you talking about? So I put this show together. And it became fairly successful in Vancouver. Uh, it, it's uh, a lot of recovery people go. Not all, though. It's not all. It's, uh-huh. it's about 50% recovery uh-huh. from the 50%. And that, I just didn't like that people were saying people don't like those type of jokes. Because right. that's not true. It's just no. patently not true. Right. It was more that people were scared of the back potential backlash of those jokes. Uh-huh. So I went, fuck it. I'll create a safe space. Yeah. Fucking... Bad, like uh, horrible jokes. Maybe it depends upon the person who's who's doing the routine too. Maybe yeah. maybe for you it's a natural thing. Yeah. And may, maybe maybe coming from you the way that you you present it, it's acceptable. Well, I don't know. Yeah, and maybe and sometimes not. I have I I have bad sets and I have people get offended at my shit. But I I just wanted a place where if people were going to the show, they knew exactly what they were going for. Yeah. And they were paying to see. They wanted to be the boundaries to be pushed, right? And, okay. And because that's, that's the type of comedy I like. So. And is that the routine you do in Toronto now? Uh, I do. My routine is just is ever evolving and situational okay. and context. But my comedy is uh, the comedy shocker. So if, if you were to watch me do a comedy shocker set, you'd see about about 60 to 75% of the jokes I do there, I do anywhere for the most part. And then there's about, you know, 30 to 25% that I only do at that show because I might get shows shut down if I did those jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, there some of them are a bit too harsh for regular human consumption. Yeah. So tell me about your podcast. It's pull the trip, pulling, pulling the trigger. The trigger. Uh, it was a podcast I started a few years ago. Uh, and I just, I interview interesting, unusual and conscious people and, and, or people who have controversial things to say or, yeah. or cause 
I've had far right activists. I've had far left activists. I've had comedians. I've had drug dealers. I've had killers. I've had prison guards. I've had women who work with sex offenders. And then I've just had people who I was like, hey, you sound kind of interesting. Yeah. Let's, let, let's, let's talk to you. And, and lots of. It's really cool. It's, it's really journalistic in a way. Oh. You know? Nice. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I listened to um, the entire episode of the John Moses, yeah. and then I listened to um, about half of another one. Okay. So cool. and I so that's that's my only exposure to it. So I'm going to listen to more of them though because I I really truly enjoyed it. If, if for the listeners of your podcast and you, if you want to find out quite a bit about fentanyl and all that stuff, episode four, Kyle okay. the drug dealer, oh, okay. I interviewed a fentanyl dealer, and uh, he really broke down i'm proud of that episode because yeah. he uh dispelled this myth that the drug supply was tainted and people were accidentally overdosing because then again the media wasn't reporting this although everyone knew so it was the first time on record that someone was saying no people are purposely seeking out fentanyl and i'll leave it at that for your listeners to go and listen and, okay yeah. well, i'm gonna listen i'm gonna listen to that one yeah Okay, so let's wrap it up going back to the show again. Okay. Um, what can people expect um, at the show? Who are they going to see? Uh, March 28th, you mean? Yep, March uh, 28th. March 28th, they're going to see a bunch of uh, comics who I love in Toronto. I love seeing what they do. So we're going to be seeing Jarrett Campbell, Sarah Donaldson, Hannah Lawrence, Nick Flanagan, Marito Lopez, and John Steinberg. And they, they're, they're people who are very very established canadian comics very good canadian comics and it's just a regular night of comedy there's nothing yeah. particularly uh, it's the only difference is where the money goes at the right. end of the night right so the money will be going to the toronto overdose prevention society for them to you know run their uh their safe injection sites and just have an extra bit of money to cuz it costs in vancouver one of the pop up safe injection sites costs between 100 and 150 dollars a day to operate wow. Wow. I don't know the exact figure on that in Toronto, but I'm assuming it's probably comparable. I bet. Wow. So if we raise, let's just say they cost $150 a day. If we raise, let's say, $1,500, they can operate with some breathing room for 10 days. Right. Okay. Yeah. They also have a GoFundMe page, which I'll link to the podcast. And when I last checked, they raised 145000 but they want to get, I think, 250000 So that's great. So I encourage people to, to do that and support that. Well, Mark, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been um, an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, thank you because uh, I never would have known about your podcast. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just <laughs> and Googled, it's a great podcast. Because I'm trying to get media attention for the show and yours came up. Well, wonderful. I guess, I guess you, have, you must have a lot of listeners here or something. Yeah, I do actually in Canada. Um, I have a lot of friends in Toronto. Um, Toronto is a, is a mecca for the agnostic atheist AA. Yeah, it was really controversial in Vancouver when they started it. It was like, yeah, it was. we're not putting that in the directory. <laughs> I know, I know. Sponsors, check this out. Sponsors would tell their fucking sponsees not to go to those meetings. I know, it's crazy. You know what's hilarious, though? In, in some of the more liberal places, it was more controversial than some of the conservative right. places. It just yeah. blew me away. Like like in, in very uptight Kansas City, I mean, yeah. it's totally fine. But yeah. in Vancouver, it's a problem. I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, I would say AA... In Vancouver, not that I ever go. I've just yeah. heard this. Uh, yeah. I go to unnamed twelve-step right, ships. Right. Yeah. Uh, Vancouver AA, I'd say, in some ways, as liberal and hippy dippy as it might seem on the surface, it's actually quite conservative. 
Yeah. That culturally, yeah. it's very yeah. conservative. The AA part, and that's how it always yeah. is. It seems it's like the, the AA is a little niche that's that's different from the the larger community where they yeah. live. But anyway. Yeah. So it's been interesting. Thank you very much again. I appreciate it. Okay, have a good one. Visit Mark's website, markhughescomedy.com, to learn more about Mark, his comedy, and his podcast. If you'd like to help the Toronto Overdose Prevention Society, be sure to visit their GoFundMe page at gofundme.com slash Toronto Overdose Prevention Society. And if you're in the Toronto area and looking for some laughs and an opportunity to support a good cause, check out the Safe Injection Comedy Fundraiser at the 120 Diner, Toronto, Ontario, on March 28th. Well, that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening.